Welcome back to another episode of the Battleborn Duckers podcast. Excited to be here. Brian's, Brian keeps giving me fingers, oh. man. He's like, go, don't go. Go, don't go. It feels like we're out duck hunting, man. It must be close. Yeah, exactly. No, we had a little little snafu, so we had lost some sound. You know what I'm so. saying? Like, when we're out all the time together, I'm like, should we take those? And you're like, no. And then I think you're just playing defense, because next thing I know, I'm shooting at him. You're not. No, I ain't stupid. If I get first shot, I'm better. So, Man, we learned something this week. The guys over at, um, what's that choke place we all shoot with? High Flyer. Uh, kicks. Kicks High Flyer, Kicksindustries.com. Yeah. He sent us that that really cool flyer this week, and... uh we talked about a hunt earlier on the podcast where we couldn't hit anything, and uh, we got a legitimate excuse that they're if they're within twenty yards, it says we're we're too close. Yeah, with the kick with the the, the choke. That was with the that was with the modified. So you know you pretty need a pretty open choke. Apparently the kick's choked to be in twenty yards. So yeah, to be in twenty. That was with the full. The full is like uh is like between twenty and sixty. But if like the ducks were like we were, we were complaining because the ducks would come in too close and we'd miss and we're like what is going on and then we'd hit them as they were going out, so I guess that makes sense. That yeah, makes a little bit of sense. So I thought you were going to talk about you know we learned something new and about the new, the game warden's name today. Oh man, tell that story. Uh, we found out the best lieutenant's name in any game warden story. So in, in game warden history. <laughs> so and around Elko there was a. A poaching case, and I haven't read an article, and and this name, this this game warden's name is just perfect for a game warden. You can't beat it. His name is Lieutenant Buck Tingle. <laughs> <laughs> is that like your Buck Spidey senses? You, you get the Buck Tingle, or yeah, if if you're looking at that Buck on outside of hunting season, you get the Buck Tingle. You know he's around. Exactly. You know, you're like, should I shoot it? Should oh. I not shoot it? Should I poach this Buck? No, Buck Tingle. No, that's Buck Tingle. It. I got the Buck Tingle. I'll go ahead and stay legal. Watch out for Buck Tingle. Yeah, well, man, we've been busy, and hunting season's right around the corner. September 25th, it kicks off up in a, a northeast zone, and that's exciting. And uh, we've been staying busy with projects, man. We've got, well, and we'll talk about them in a future show here, but... Man, we just want to say thank you to everybody that's listening to this show that's come out and help us. Yeah, a lot of our Battle War Decker family has been, you know, they've been the backbone of a lot of the projects we've been doing through our other organizations. So it's a huge shout out and to those guys that are coming out and helping out getting these habitats uh, spiffed up for the, the both for the hunting season and for nesting season for next year. So. Yeah, for habitat. I mean, we've drug them through the mud. We've put them on weed whackers. We've, re, we've redone blinds and... You know, they just come out, and it's, it's like a party, man. I, I really enjoy having, I guess you call it the Battleborn Ducker family out there with us doing these projects. Yeah, no, it's been really good. I, I enjoy it. And, you know, it's we're getting to see more and more of a, of a Battleborn Ducker family for projects, and we do events. You know, we'll go out, and uh, we're going into Woods and Waters, or Woods and Waters group. We're filling up a table pretty much every time we go out there now. We've got new guys coming in every, every month for that program through the uh, Battleborn Ducker's crew, and then... You know, we went to the Ducks Unlimited banquet, and we had two or three tables of Battleborn Duckers guys out there, too. So it's kind of nice to just see guys stepping up and coming out and joining these causes. It's just fun to have them around, man. All of them are good guys, for no, the most part. They are really good guys, and we have a. Re- it, it's funny how you can take everybody from such different backgrounds, and everybody gets along so well. And we're not even, I mean, if we're on a project, it's not we're out playing around and having a good time. We're working, but 
everybody's having fun. Everybody's enjoying themselves. So, and everybody's making fun of Ron pretty much the whole time. So we all have something in common. Go, so. ahead, go ahead and tell the story about my fat butt trying to jump up and down on that pole. I was oh, trying to we'll, pole dance out there in the marsh. We'll have to post that. I'm gonna have to post that video on the Battleborn Duckers Facebook page. But you know, we're struggling a little bit. It's comes to get some of these uh, goose boxes in and. So we had this idea to put some rods through, and and Ron decided he was going to jump on. Speaking of new guys, we had like that new guy Dave out there yeah. that used to be a lineman. He's like, "Hey, let's put these rods through, and you can climb right up." And we're like, "Dave, man, that is a great idea. It sounds stupid enough for us to do it." And so Ron decided climb meant jumping up and down on the rod, and it, it was like in slow motion. It's like one of those really bad things, like somebody's falling into the water in slow motion, and they can't. I was stop trying to themselves. get that pole into the ground. I figured like a two hundred and fifty pound fat guy jumping on the pole might make it go in the water it was working well yeah it wasn't so we were watching the video back on our way back back home the other night and every time ron would jump that that rod would bend just a little bit more and a little bit more and you could see it coming and (laughs) then you can just stop it and then everybody starts busting up laughing because ron slipped right off of the pole so he's not a very good pole dancer i'll tell you that yeah man i'm gonna go ahead and stick to podcasting real estate man (laughs) you're not good at that either so yeah, yeah, I'm okay at it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, tonight we have a, a topic that's kind of near and dear to our hearts, something we love doing, and it's something that I, I think we do pretty well, and we've done it quite a bit. And, you know, you either have to have experience or a lot of time doing it, and we can have a little bit of both. And that's uh, kayak duck hunting, hunting out of kayaks for duck hunting. And we've had, a, we've had a lot of guys come up to us and say, what kind of kayak should I get? And, you know, how do you do it? And is it dangerous? Is it safe? You know? And so we just wanted to, what we're going to basically do is we're going to start off as a, uh, we're going on the kayak hunt. And as we go through, we'll tell stories and give tips and uh, um, kind of see if we can't get you guys going in the right direction to be able to go out kayak duck hunting. Well, I think it's important to know too. I mean, you, th- you talk about all the forms of hunting. So duck hunting is inherently kind of an expensive sport anyways, right? So you spend a lot of money, you spend on guns and ammunition and stuff like that. And so a lot of guys adding a boat or a kayak to it they freak out a little bit because it's going to be a lot of money but it's cheaper than a boat though it's way cheaper than a boat but you can really get a kayak fairly reasonably priced depending on what you get and it's getting more and more where you can buy if you can buy used stuff sometimes that's even better because you can get into it some people sell their kayaks for under 100 bucks just depending on what you got i was thinking about that the other day and uh, and, like we had people ask us where do we get kayaks from and there are a lot of people that during this pandemic picked up kayaks yeah, a lot and kayaks of people, take up a lot of space in the garage, and they keep getting in your way, and people take them out once or twice a year, and then after after they get annoyed with enough, where does that old kayak end up? Well, not to mention, we've got now where the economy's starting to change a little bit, and the extra money that they were getting, people are getting from the government that they went about the kayaks with, they're not getting that anymore. So, yeah. you know, there's going to be, I think that market's going to open up a little bit. It'll get a little bit cheaper, but I'll tell you, we bought, when I bought our first set of kayaks... I think I spent three hundred and fifty or four hundred dollars on mine, which was a. I run a Tamarack um, fishing kayak, so it's a. It's kind of an entry level fishing kayak, but I think I spent three hundred fifty bucks on it. But I bought two sit-ins and a sit-on for my wife and kids with a paddleboard, and it was under four hundred dollars, all brand new at a swap meet. So, you know, you can get reasonably priced kayaks still. Um, I know, Ron, you got you picked up a really nice kayak the other day. You know, at some sketchy guy says, "Hey, you know, just Venmo the money and just stop by and grab it." You no, know? that was really weird. So we were up in a wildlife project, and I made the duck gods happy. You know, you do conservation projects, things happen. This old boy texts me. He had a an Ascend F twelve, and this thing's giant. What do you think? It's like fifteen feet. It's a big old boy. 
Um, I don't know if I'd recommend it for duck hunting. We'll get into that a little bit later, but he messages me. He goes, he goes, and it, it was all the way up in Pioche, and we were in Alamo doing the wood duck boxes. And he said, "Hey, just send me the money. I'll be in St. George. I'll be in front of the house." And Brian's like, "I think you're gonna lose your money, man." But 200 bucks, I sent it to him, and next thing you know, I turn around and I had a new, you know, 15 foot Ascend kayak and. My boy went out fishing with his buddies a while back, and they put three of those like teenagers on it, and they all stand up fishing on that kayak. And I, I'm really happy with that purchase. But like Brian said, Facebook, Craigslist, um, swap meets, garage sales, kayaks are big and they're in the way, and people like to get rid of them. Um, Preston Acuff, one of our Battleborn family, he found one on um, offer up, and he got a smoking deal on it, 200 bucks. You know, so you don't have to get really expensive, and you can. We'll talk about the expensive ones here soon. But if you're looking, um, there's there's a few type of kayaks you can get. There's the sit-in ones, and when me and Brian started off hunting, we we started with the sit-in ones um, because I got I got them off face. I got them off some site for like two for four hundred, and we had these ugly green sit-in ones, and we still take them out to projects, and we still use them. They're great. But you want to tell me why you hate those ones, Brian? You know, I'm six foot tall. And so you get it six foot tall inside of waders and try to get in four foot deep water and try to get your legs up into that kayak and, and roll up in a ball enough to get your feet in the actual opening and get it get set in there. It's just tough. It's not an it's not a super easy way to do it where the sit on ones, when I bought my fishing kayak and you sit on top of it and you can just set your butt in it and flip your feet over and you're in and you're ready to go. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit quicker. It's for me, I think with waders, I think it's probably a little bit safer, especially if you're hunting in cold weather. Yeah. Cause we'll be out hunting, you know. Well, we know from experience, you you fill off that one once at least, right? Yeah. And it gets, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, we got to be a little bit safer as hunters sometimes, but we're out in, you know, the teens, low teens sometimes and you get wet. You know, you're either going back to the car and, and and cold and changing clothes, or you're going to be miserable for a while. And that you're going to be turn tough in, and stupid. Yeah, you got to be tough and stupid. If you're going to be dumb. You better be tough. But you're either going to do that, or you know, you run the risk of of developing some hypothermia or something if you don't do it right. Now, I will tell you, with the proper equipment, with the proper waiter jackets and the waiters and stuff like that, it provides insulation enough to where you can you'll still stay fairly warm. You're going to be wet, and it's not going to be very comfortable. But at least you'll retain your heat and stay warm. So that helps a little bit. I mean, Cody had an incident um, Saturday when we went out. We were out doing duck boxes. and you know, <laughs> He was just, in the sit-in one, too. Yeah, he was in a sit-in because we, we, we didn't quite have enough sit-ons. But we had a lot of guys out there. And, yeah. And uh, so we're all kayaking out and you know setting duck boxes and getting in and out of the kayaks to do some of that stuff. And he went to get into it, and it kind of rolled on him. And he didn't get soaking wet. He went into the water a little bit. But it's just it's e- so much easier to just get on those those it's sit-ons. one less movement yeah so those sit-on ones are definitely better than the sit-in ones like the sit-in ones like you have to pick your knees up to your chest and then kick them down in and then when you're trying to do that in three feet of water i mean it's fine when you're launching from shore you can sit in it and then scoot out but when you're trying to lo- like load into it in the reeds the sit the sit-in ones just do not work well i guess if you were going to stay <clears throat> we don't Ron and I don't typically sit in our kayaks when we're hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were going to sit in your kayak the whole day and, and hunt from your kayak actually sitting in it, I guess it would be okay. Um, I don't know that it would be real comfortable sitting in there for an entire day. They're not comfortable. No, they're not. And, you know, 
they're they're fast though. They are they're faster and, and but they're less stable too. So I'll give you that. Yeah. So my um, sit on is way more stable than than one of those is. But they also are more maneuverable. You can get into a little bit smaller spaces. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get them tucked back in the reeds a little bit better once you you get there. It's just there's a lot of drawbacks. Then there's the um, the layout blind style kayaks as well. They're are we talking about the, the beaver, beaver tails or something like that, or the or the skull boats or all those ones that you know you're a little bit closer to the water. They actually have a built-in well. You can stand up on them, and sh- you can actually the one one of the guys had this weekend. Uh, Dave Dave had that one, and he had a beaver tail, and you could stand up on it and shoot and be stable shooting. I mean, he was pretty much jumping up and down on it from inside the kayak in the middle of the water. Yeah. So if you like, if you if you're if you're working on something, you're just looking to get a quality one. I know I was talking to um, a boy yesterday, and he said that he has a stealth. It weighs about seventy pounds. And they're stable as can be. So if, if money's not an issue and you're not going to find stilts online a lot for sale, I mean, those aren't the ones people are getting rid of. But if you're looking for primary duck hunting that you're not going to tip, the stealth is, is where it's at. Yeah, and it's built. I mean, it's built. The beaver to, tail brand. Anything from the beaver tail brand. It's built to put a full layout blind in. So It's you have, built to put a mud motor yeah, on. Yeah, and you can put a mud motor on. You can put a layout blind. But that way you can just lay right in that kayak. Just like you're hunting basically in a field and you yeah. hunt right from that kayak and then, you know, ducks come by, you can pop up out of that layout blind and, and, and harvest an animal. But, but if you're on a budget, I would stay away from the sit-in. I really would. I mean, I've hunted out of them. They're, they're, they're usually the cheaper ones online. Um, but I'd stay away from those. If, if I was on a budget and I was looking online, I would look for a sit on top, especially if you're going to duck hunt out and of it. They're not, I'll be honest with you, they're not that much more expensive. I mean, especially if you're buying them you used. You look at a $50 to $100 difference. Maybe. If you're buying them used, you might get them for about the same price. It just depends on what people are doing because there's some misnomers and some people don't like them because they don't understand them, right? So you look at it and it doesn't look like it would be very stable because you don't have anything around you. So mm-hmm. it looks like you could fall off of it a lot easier, but they're super stable. I mean, they're not, you're not going to roll them over now. They make them the sit-ons that you can stand up on and fish off of that they're designed for that. Um, my kid will stand up and fish off of mine. Uh, I, I won't stand up and fish off of mine. It's probably because I've got an extra hundred pounds on them, but yeah, it's all about weight limit. Yeah. And so, but yeah, they they work really well. I, I think, uh, you know, if I had the money, I'd, I'd buy a beaver tail for duck hunting, but a beaver tail, the cool thing about, my kayak and is I can use it for a lot of things, right? So I can fish off it, I can hunt off of it. You know, we take it out all the time to the reservoir. Well, the with beaver people. tells you also lose speed. You do lose speed, but you're gonna lose you're gonna lose speed with the uh, with the sit-ons too, because they're gonna be a wider berth. And but it goes incrementally. Yeah. Like sit-ins, you're fast, but you don't need to be fast. <laughs> you know. Well, the heavier the boat's gonna be, the slower you're gonna go, and the more you're gonna. And the wider paddle. the base, but the more stable so, you're gonna have. Yeah. So I mean, it's just. For me and everybody, it's, it's going to be a, partly a personal preference thing, I guess. Um, but at the same point, you want to make sure that it's something you're going to be able to use. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go out and buy a sit-in and then realize that you're not going to be able to get in and out of it when you need to. <laughs> you know how you find out you can't get in and out of it? You can't get in and out of it. When you tip over, yeah. you flip over in the middle of water in winter, you know, that's a bad time to find out. And we've done the work on that. We've done the sit-ins and like, I'll probably never go back to a sit-in. It's great for kids and light people and people that do yoga, you know, cause you're a little more flexible, but if you don't do yoga, you're not, you're not going to do well in sit-in. Well, and I think one of the things we've got to talk about too, I mean, so we talk about the stability of kayaks and stuff like that. Well, no matter which kayak you're going to have, you need to be prepared for the event that something goes bad, that some that you end up in the water. Because it's not going to be 
I'm out kayaking in the middle of summer. I got shorts on and a t-shirt, no shoes. You know, it's I not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah, and so you're going to be in the water, in your waders, in a heavy jacket. You know, there's a lot of weight to, there. So make sure you're prepared, prepared for that. And, you know, I'll usually run um, an auto-inflate life jacket when I'm out going to and from a duck spot. Just because it's just an extra added layer of protection. And then just be prepared. Know that, you know, have a plan for what if something goes bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared. And you also bring a dry bag with you. I do. I, I, I bring a dry bag on the boat with me all the time. And so usually I'll throw an extra set of clothes in there. I'll throw my ammo and stuff in there just because nothing's worse than getting out to shoot ducks and you have no ammo to work because everything's soaked. <laughs> but, um, the dry bags are, work really, really well, and they're really cheap. I think I got two of them for twenty five bucks. Buy them on Amazon; they're pretty cheap. Yeah, and they and they work really well. And it's not just for kayaking. I'll take them camping and stuff with me. And if it's I have some clothes in there and it rains, my dry bag's perfectly good. You know. Now we we talk about waiter jackets a lot on the show, and and I, w- I want to talk about this. I was out I was out by myself. You weren't there as a weekday, so I was hunting by myself, and I I launched and it it had frozen over. And you know how it freezes over in the edges and it gets open in the end in the the out out part, right? Yeah. And so I'm out there by myself, and the way you break through the ice with your kayak when you're out there is you push the kayak a little bit, and you lean on it, and it busts the ice, and you walk a little bit further, and you bust it. And um, had my waiter jacket, and it was nice, and um. It was a sit-on-top kayak, and I went to go sit on top of it, like because I busted through enough to where I could get on top and paddle a little bit, bust through, paddle a little bit, bust through, and so I go to sit on top. And like I said, I've I've been doing it for years. Like I shouldn't have a mistake. Boop! Right over the other side of it. I sat on, and the the kayak will just teeter where like it just takes you and throws you off the other side, you know. And so I went right under, and it was dark, and there was um, ice everywhere, but um, slammed in. Um, into the water, but it was I was I was obviously able to walk in it, so I just stood up. But because I had that waiter jacket on, it has elastic. The only thing that got cold was my uh, my hands and a little bit of my face. And I changed my beanie out, and I was good to go again. And so having the correct material, you can or correct equipment, you could fall in that water and just be fine. Well, even if you just have, I mean, I think I was hunting with just a regular jacket when we were hunting Keep Hitman that time, and I I hit a root put my gun all the way to the bottom of the of the lake and you know filled it with mud and water and basically my whole jacket went in i mean so i was soaked and so i hunted the next what probably three hours you didn't complain it was 17 degrees um i will tell you that it sucked because it was just that feeling of having wet clothes on but that jacket kept that insulation layer kept me plenty warm i mean i was not i wasn't cold um then we get back to the truck and i told ron i'm like hey Throw on your defroster on heat as high as you can. I'm gonna throw my jacket up, see if I can I can dry it out a little bit before we get yeah. to the next spot. But we were with that's where we're using those sit-in kayaks too. That yeah, was that, that was that, and we broke through ice that morning too, launching onto that lake. Yeah, and that's the thing is you're gonna um, you're gonna as we get later into the season, even down here in in the south and southern Nevada. Um, if we go, well, we, we don't use kayaks at, at Overton, but there's been mornings in Overton that we've had to break ice to set decoys. Yeah. Um, they're few and far between in Overton, but when we go up into the you know, the the Alamo, Heiko, Sunnyside area, there's a pretty good chance you're going to break ice a large portion of the season. So, just to get out, so be prepared for that. Um, the other thing, you know, you need to be you need to be physically prepared to run a kayak for the day. So I know it all depends on how hard you're going to send it. The first the first 
once or twice of a season usually you know you feel it a little bit and then you kind of get over it and you, you get used to it and your body adjusts but i'll tell you we we kayaked a lot saturday um we we did a did did quite a bit of kayaking because we did two different ponds and so we did a project until about one o'clock in the afternoon and fished for two or three hours after that um both of my shoulders were were pretty done by that point so and i think it's worse during the winter because that cold air man you just, you don't get as much oxygen because i'll see myself it might be just no no it's not because when i was out doing the boxes and doing the the fishing and stuff i paddled pretty hard back and i wasn't winded but i know so i'm out in the winter paddling man i get winded quick I think it might be that cold air intake. The cold air, it takes your body some, some effort to warm the air up as, yeah. as it's going. It cools your body down a lot. And plus, you know, we're hunting a little bit higher up than what our what our home area is. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that going on too. And, you know, I, I think one of the other things is, as we talk about, so you're going to, you know, obviously you're taking your kayaks with you, so you're going to have to have a kayaks. And so once we start to get out on the water, we'll paddle. And you got to realize you're paddling in, in the dark, right? So you're going to get there. You want to get there to your spot an hour, hour and a half before shooting light. Shooting light, so you can get everything set. You can get your get your area set up the way you want it. You get your decoys set. Make sure everything's good to go. And you know, we had an incident where we took one of Ron's one of Ron's employees out one day, and but, Ron and I just go right. And so Ron, where's we were, we're headlamps going out, and you know, we have the spotlight so we can kind of see what's going on, but. I'll track Ron's headlight. Well, we're not thinking about a new person coming out with us and and Ron kind of have a speed. And so Ron's there. I'm following Ron and this kid was following me and we get to our spot and the kid's nowhere to be found. And so he had lost our headlamps and then pulled into a cove. Think it was a cove we turned into. And, you know, he was going to just tough it out and just go hunt there with no decoys. But, you know, we ended up, Ron went back and chased him down and found him. But, you know, find a way to where everybody can see where everybody's going. I think they make headlamps now with kind of like the bicycle riders will use with like a red blinking light on the back of them mm-hmm. or something like that. Because you can see the headlight, but you got to look for that headlight a little bit more. If you had something in the back to where it was flashing, and technically, you know, you're supposed to have some navigation light of some sort. It all sort. depends on where you're at, yeah. yeah. You, I, and I don't know the laws exactly in Nevada. We haven't got called on them, but we haven't we haven't gone you know when we're out there's not usually people watching trying to make us uh you know correct us on lights and stuff on the on the kayaks but um but yeah the the light makes a big deal and with him the the funny thing about that and i was going to talk about that when you're picking out your kayaks you want to look at weight limits yes you know and if if you're a big boy like me like you're you're in the 200s you know or the 300s look at a kayak and make sure that you get the right weight limit because you're going to have your weight and then you're going to have your decoys. Then you're going to have your gun. You're going to have your extra supplies. You're going to have your snacks, which is like another 50 pounds, you know. And then uh, your, your smoked oysters. And then you're going to have um, your ammo. And then, like, at, at the end of the day, it adds up. So you're throwing probably another extra 50 to 100 pounds on your kayak. Yeah, it depends on how many decoys or stuff you're taking. But I'll tell you, you and your smoked oysters, so... Yvonne, you know, she's going going on a trip with her parents, right? Okay. So okay. she saw some smoked oysters and some tuna and stuff was on clearance. So her dad eats that stuff. And so she's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some of these so we can take them on our trip. So I'm like, you know, I'm gonna try these. I mean, I like smoked stuff. <laughs> you can try when I'm not around, huh? <laughs> I, I like smoked stuff. Maybe they'll pretty pretty good. I like raw oysters. Did you put your crocs on when you did it? No, I didn't I'm not that gay. <laughs> so I, I have my lines I have to draw somewhere. <laughs> 
So I put one of those oysters in my mouth, and I about puked for the next hour. That was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my entire life. Ron, how the hell do you eat that? Oh. I might mean, literally that, it, and it's in oil, and it's in like olive oil, and I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, there's two people that really like it. You and Rock. Me and Rock, man. That's what we're best buds. My dogs liked it, so my dogs were happy with me. But, yeah, I, I will never – I won't even open a can of smoked oysters at this point now. Anyways. Hey, so with that weight limit, yeah, smoked oysters are the best. You come out with me, I'll hook you up. I always got some. No, so with I'll bring that, real food, so. <laughs> Brian, don't eat. Don't trust him. <laughs> anyway, so with, with that weight limit, the more weight you put on it, the more liable you are to tip. You can you could go over the weight limit on those kayaks. I know you can, and I probably do, but you're more liable to tip on them the more weight you put on them. So you want to look at a kayak, and if it has a weight limit of 300 and you're about 220 pounds, you're going to be good. But if it has a weight limit of like 100 and you're 220, probably want to look for a bigger one, big boy. Yeah, you need a bigger boat. Now with Morgan, the reason he got lost is because we threw him on a little kid kayak. And so... Because we threw about a little kid kayak, he had this kayak, and it was tilted up in the air like he was hydroplaning, you know, like those boats that go fast. And so we sent him on a little kid kayak, and we were like, okay, follow us. And if you've ever tried to follow somebody on a kayak that's too small for you, you don't go very fast. And so that's why we lost him, you know. And so um, that was a lesson learned. I'm, I'm, like, fortunately, it wasn't me that had to learn that lesson because I just watched Morgan learn it. But he's a good sport, and he had a good time, and he didn't tip, but... Yeah, knowing the weight limit on your kayak that you're going to buy is is extremely important. Um, And plan what you're going to take with you. So if you're a guy that sets heavy, heavy decoys, you're not going to be able to set. I know Ron would like to take 25 dozen. You bring a sled, though. Yeah, Ron would like to take 25 dozen decoys on on the water with him, but he can't do it in a kayak. So we're usually uh, on a heavy day. We'll have three or four dozen. You know, because we can put one bag on the back of each of ours, and each of us can usually put a bag on the front if we need to. Yeah. We try not to do that because we also have Ron will run the dog with him. So Ron will have the extra weight of having Rock on the boat with him. So that is it's just another added weight. So he's, what, 60 pounds, right? Yeah. You know, so you got 60 pounds plus two full bags of decoys, and, and we're running Dakotas, and Dakotas aren't very light. Um Probably if you if you really wanted to do it right, probably the best way to do it would be with some packable decoys that are a little bit lighter. But I don't know. I like the quality of the Dakotas. Yeah, well, Dakota makes it packable. Yeah, so that's true. But you know, um, you could. There's some options, or you just maybe you just hunt a little bit lighter on your decoys and and make it work. But or you bring smaller decoys. You bring the till decoys. You know, you bring you fit more tills in a bag. You know, you bring the smaller gadwalls. You don't bring all a bunch of mallards. Um, you don't bring a bunch of geese, you know, so. Well, the good thing about decoys too is so if, if something, heaven forbid, something happens, like you sink your boat. Um, they float. The, yeah, the decoy bags will float. So those decoys are all going to float. So you'll have something that you can kind of use for a little bit of support and stuff to. Yeah, but with those too, and a lot of people don't have them, we're spoiled because we got the Dakota bags. But if you buy those Dakota bags or you buy the packable bags that zip up at the top and have the individual slots, Man, they pack really nice on your kayak. They sit really straight, and you're able to like move your weight around to where it needs to be, to where you're not tipping. Yeah, and you bungee cord them in. I mean, there's points to bungee, use some bungee cords or ratchet straps or whatever you want to get them. But you want them, you don't want those to shift because it's going to make your paddle a very difficult situation. Yeah. That's the other thing. You want them behind you more than you want them in front of you because you want to be able to have that range of motion for that paddle. Otherwise, you're not going to be as efficient. So it's going to take you more effort to do go the same amount of distance so yeah 
And then the way your, your kayak steers one of two ways. It steers by your paddles or still steers the way you lean or steers the way the front of your boat's pointing. You know, so if you have the weight in the back, you're already, you're already ahead of the game. But if you have the weight in the back and it's off-centered, you're going to be constantly fighting that turn where you're trying to turn the whole time. And the bag will drag. And the bag will drag, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's going to, anytime a bag drags, it's going to turn, want to turn into that, in that direction. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you get it. It takes trial and error. I mean, I think Ron and I fix it a little bit every time we go out. Um, still to this day, and we've hunted off kayaks a lot, a lot. So um, generally, if we're not up at our favorite location on the boat and we're not in Overton, we're kayak hunting. That's the way we get everything. And even places, you know, we have a place that you could walk in. You could walk into the whole lake. I mean, it's shallow enough you could walk anywhere on that lake you wanted to go. But with the kayak, we're more efficient. We're faster to get there. We, we're more comfortable going places. It's not as much effort to get to coves that are a little bit more secluded. Not as much physical effort. Yeah. And so you can, you can get quicker back into places that you want to be. And then when it comes to, you know, there's days that we won't hunt with a dog because we have something going on or Ron's got a meeting or something like that. So we won't bring a dog with us. We can jump in that kayak and go retrieve ducks and it's super fast, super efficient. We can be it's in and faster out. Faster than a dog. Yeah. Sometimes it's faster than a dog. He's getting better, but. We can be out and back with a duck in like 30 seconds, depending on where the duck is, versus if you were to have to walk that, you're 15 minutes. Or if you shoot a cripple and the cripple's running from you, it's, it's really easy to chase down your cripples on a kayak. Yeah, and it's so it takes, you know, shooting off a kayak's not not a natural thing. So, And I'd, I'd, I'd recommend avoiding it if you can. Yes, um, and if you are going to shoot off of a kayak, you want to shoot in the direction the, bo- the boat's pointed. You don't you don't want to shoot off the side of the kayak because then your kayak's gonna you're gonna force that shot is gonna push you backwards. It's it's all about momentum, yeah. Unless you have a good core, you can shoot whichever way you want if you got a good core. Well, you're still gonna have that recoil. So that recoil is you're taking that energy and you're pushing it into the back of the boat. So that yeah. boat's gonna roll on you. So you know it's gonna feel unbalanced, and that's a good time for you to be in the water. Is you're gonna a lot of times you're gonna end up in the water. But there's yeah. guys that shoot off their kayaks all the time. It's not how Ron, I prefer to hunt off kayaks. Um, we prefer to use them more as a transportation mode to get yeah. somewhere and then set up where you get somewhere. Well, yeah, it's, it's like like when you're, when you're sloshing through that mud, it takes a long time to get somewhere. When you have a kayak, and even if you're pulling a sled behind your kayak, which I've done before, um, you, you just cruise. You just fly, man. You go you go very fast compared to walking. And so um, it's just it's such an effective vehicle of transport. And, you know... Um, they're not that heavy to lift into the water. Now, let's talk about um, <clears throat> John Scallon asked if what you prefer as far as a 10-foot versus a 12-foot. You know, so the the, the longer, and, and a, as a general rule, the longer the kayak, the faster it's going to be, right? Yeah. So the shorter the kayak, the more maneuverable it is. So it's going to be a personal preference thing. So for me, I would prefer a longer kayak because I want to take strokes. And I want to get somewhere in a hurry. So we're going from point A to point B. We're usually on open water, but at the same point, it's a lot tougher to stow a longer kayak. So it's you're gonna have to have a lot bigger reed bed to, to push it back into to cover your kayak and all that other stuff. So there there's a plus and a minus to all of them, right? So that short kayak, you're not gonna be as efficient, you're not gonna be as fast getting into holes, but it's gonna be easier to store. If I'm maybe if I'm on a river and I've got some tight tight bends or I'm gonna have to maneuver a lot more. I'm going to want a shorter kayak to be able to to make that happen a little bit easier. Um, 
but as a general rule for me, I prefer the longer one. And I think the other thing the longer one does as an advantage is it it allows you to put kind of more stuff on there. Yeah, exactly. So, so it gives you more room and more room to be comfortable because the way the sit-ons work, and it's different. So if you had a sit-in, you can kind of strap everything you want to the top of that kayak. It's going to be a little bit harder to carry stuff just because it's rounded and it's harder to make things stable. But you could set things directly on top of your legs and, and it won't matter. It's fine. With a sit-in, with a sit-on, everything has to be in front of your legs or behind you because otherwise it's sitting on your legs or like i'll store my gun well you can't get your legs back you can't get back in the kayak because things are in the way yeah but i'll store my i'll store my gun when i'm going in i keep my gun in a floating gun case just in case so if you dump your kayak the last thing you want to have happen is you dump your kayak your gun's in the water and you lose your gun so i had i I shot for a long time with a, a floating sling i have a floating gun bag um but I put that in between my legs facing out, you know, obviously on safety, unloaded the whole thing. But I'll store that there because that's the most secure place for it for me. And it fits fairly well. Um, it doesn't really bother you too much. But then decoy bags, and usually I'll have a blind bag or something I'll set up in my front of my kayak. And maybe my dry bag, my blind bag will be up there. And then my shells. Shells. My decoy bag will be all the way in the back. Works as a chair. It's nice. It does, and and I'll I'll usually bring, and we'll talk about this a little bit too. Is I usually bring a chair of some sort with yeah. me. So um, I didn't. Br- I, I brought it with me in the office, but I didn't bring it. There's up a Ron's got these A-frame chairs that kind of fold out to, into an A-frame. They got a seat in the back on them. They work really well. Um, we've done the three-legged stools. You know, we've the, done the one-legged ones. Yeah, the one-legged ones. The three-legged stools tend to, tend to sink in the mud a little bit, so I'm not a big fan of that. And I picked up last year. We didn't, I didn't get a chance to use it last year after I picked it up, but I picked up a a mud chair, which is, has a a wider foot on it, has a really big foot, and it's designed to sit kind of rest on top of the mud and to kind of distribute some of that weight so you don't sink down so bad. So we'll we usually bring something and kind of sit in the water when we're hunting. I know that's not everybody's favorite. A lot of guys want to, uh, they want to sit kind of on their kayak or like something like that. And that's the great thing about kayak hunting too, is if, you know, I've noticed, and I, I don't know what you say or think about it, Ron, but I notice that if I'm in the water for a long period of time, that pressure from the water around your waders starts to make my feet hurt. It's like it's constantly squeezing at your feet. So it's not, it gets pretty uncomfortable after a while. It's not comfortable. No, it's not absolutely. So, you can jump up on that kayak and kind of put your feet up a little bit and kind of kind of help that a little bit as well. So you can kind of take a break out of the water for a little bit if you wanted to. Um, hold on a second. I'm sending you a picture of that, uh, that chair so you could show everybody it. Um, they got it on Rogers right now for 11 bucks. No, um, no, absolutely. With that, with that, sit in that water all the time. It makes your feet cold. It's a constant pressure. Depending on how deep the water is, the deeper the water is, the more the pressure is around your waders. Um, so that's horrible. Um, but those, those chairs, they, you, you don't want to get too big of a chair. Cause again, it's weight and it's a, it's like packing a U-Haul, you know, and you're trying to pack as much as you can on this little sliver of a boat. And so the more compact you can get, the better it is. Um, let's talk a little bit. So when, when we were talking earlier about what size kayak, the 10 foot, or the 12 foot, I don't think it matters. I think it all comes back down to the weight limit. And what you want to put on it. Obviously, the more square footage you have on it, the slower you're going to go, but the more you can fit weight-wise and space-wise. 
And so, like, I have that 15-footer, and you saw that one. We're going to be able to fit tons on that, but I am going to move like a slug. Yeah. Like it, And I'm like, I was looking at it, and I have my, you have the Tamarack. I have the Stealth, which is a little bit bigger. It's two feet bigger. I think your Tamarack's like a, a 10-footer. My Stealth's a, a 12-footer. But um, I, I might just stick with my Stealth this year, even though I've got that bigger kayak, unless we're taking other people out. And that's why I pick up kayaks online, so we can take other people out, but... Well, it's the yeah. weight. It's the the length. If you had the same weight kayak and all things are equal, yeah. the length is going to make you faster. But when you start adding the weight to it, and that kayak that you picked up is is a more of a mid level fishing kayak, yeah. so it's it's a heavier heavier build to it. Um, it's got more supports and stuff like that, so you have have that issue. Um, so it's just going to be a heavier kayak and and all. And I think that one has wheels on it to drag it down the water too. It does have a back wheel on it. Yeah, I mean so, it's it's a beast, and so it, it's very stable though. You know, um, so another thing when it comes to talking about weight of kayaks, we've talked about you know weight limits, but the actual weight of a kayak makes a big difference too when you're going to load it. You know, if you're a if you're a single person hunter and you're hunting solo a lot, you're gonna want a lighter kayak because lifting it up on the back of a truck or lifting it up <clears throat> to a rough rack. Is a lot. Of, is a lot of work, and as my wife could attest, I was trying to load up for a hunt before, and uh, I'm a pretty hefty guy, so I can lift these things up. And one slipped, man, I threw it right through the back window of my Sequoia. Yeah, his and wife was not very happy, so Ron's calling the uh, glass dealer when we're hunting, and tells puts a glass. She's like, he's like, hold on, hold on, and he quits talking to her so he can shoot birds, <laughs> and, and he takes his shots and goes back to talking to her. Yeah, so I had to go get the back window. Of my wife's uh sequoia fix but you know when when you're that's that's a consideration you want to take into into thought when am i gonna have to load this myself or i'm gonna have help and, you know am i gonna have to load on top of a car or, or am i gonna be able to you know just help it into the back of a truck now when you're loading in the back of the truck they have several ways you could do it you can um <clears throat> just put it in the bed at an angle so it sticks up kind of like a making a v with a cab um what me and brian tend to do because we want to bring supplies or something we'll just run a couple two by fours across the back of the truck and then we'll just put the kayaks on top of the two by four so we could throw stuff under the bed yeah i guess you're we'll um we're working on building the trailer to to just make it a little bit easier where we have kayak yeah. racks and you can everything's got its space i mean that's the thing with hunting and and i think most hunters will experience that if they hunt as much as, as ron and i do is you start out the season you're pretty organized you have everything's in its place and you know by the time you get a month into the season everything's just scattered everywhere and you don't have ron and i don't have time to take a step to back reset. and reorganize right so we reorganize at the end of the season that's that's where we really have our thing and so it's it's always a go 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 thing and we don't ever have that time to reset i know a lot of hunters you know if you're hunting once or twice a year yeah you can reset every single time but ron ron typically hunts three or four days a week at a minimum and and i'm two or three days a week depending on on the week so um you just don't have time with with family obligations and work and, and all that stuff sleep you know because you're getting up super early and then that maverick card i'm telling you it's uh you buy 10 red bulls you get one for free so oh we'll, buddy we'll be getting a lot of free red bull this season you so. got that chair up there that, I, I showed it a second ago i can mm. go back to it so yeah let me let me talk about this chair so um after you get everything loaded you get out to your spot you have you have a couple ways you can hunt off a kayak some people like to sit them and when they hunt you know so they'll tuck it in the reeds 
no camel, no kayak. And so when you're going to pick out your kayak, the color is important if you care. If, if you care that you're going to sit in your kayak and it's going to be exposed to the ducks, you're going to want to get a tan or a dark blue or a green. You know, but if you could get a bright orange kayak, you really can. And if you get into the cattails, you can shove that sucker super far back into the cattails and then you can cover it up. You cover that thing right up, you know, and then the ducks won't be able to see it. But you still have to have something to sit on because you're not going to want to stand out there all day. And so um, these little chairs right here is what me and Brian found. They they fold up real nice, and then you can you could you could sit on them. It has a pouch in the bottom where you could put your your bullets. That pouch fills up with water though. It's not waterproof. You know, Ron can bring his sardines back to life and live in there. I get I can set my oysters free. No, um, so this, this chair has been a game changer for us because then what you do is you tuck this chair back into the cattails. You stay tucked into the cattails and you just sit still and you have a pre-made blind wherever you go. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're using a natural foliage for, for everything. So what Ron, a lot of times will do is Ron, Ron has a, an uncanny ability to see through. I don't know how the hell he sees through some of the stuff he sees through, but. You know, I like to have a little bit more opening so I can kind of see what's what's coming in. But you we, you'll get right back behind the stand of cattail, cattails or back in the reeds to where you're, the deeper you are in the reeds, the more chance you're going to have of ducks coming in. Now, what a lot of people don't get too is they got reeds in front of them. They may have reeds in back of them, but they just smashed all the reeds around them. They like and, smashed their entrances. And, and, and so then you're exposed from the top and, and people forget Ducks are flying. Ducks are going to see you from the top. And they're watching the reed line when they come in. If you watch their heads, they will look at that reed line. And they're looking for ducks. Are, ducks are a pretty smart animal. That They're looking for things that are out of place. They're looking for things that tell them something's not quite right and there could be danger there. That's how they're going to survive, right? They're surviving predators. So if there's, you know, all the reeds are mowed down in an area, obviously something's been in that area to mow those reeds down. So they're not going to want to be in there. So just we try to find if we're going in, we try to find natural openings that we can kind of get back to where like we little need to get. points or roundabouts or and and if you do create an opening there, then try to pull some reeds back over the top of it. Try to make it back to as natural as possible. Or you enter one way, make a path back to where you want to be. Yeah, and that that way you just every advantage you can give yourself is going to be a better chance of harvesting. So. That's the goal is to harvest as many many animals as we can. Um, our goal, Ron and I's goal every time is to try to go home within three hours of us getting there, and I don't think it ever happens. But We're going to keep trying, though. We, we'd love to get our limits. I mean, it's a tough – Southern Nevada is a tough, tough hunt. It's, it's you, know, you don't get a lot of opportunities sometimes. So. Let's talk about uh, packing the kayak when we go to launch. I know we talked about it a little bit, but I want to go over it in detail. When we go to pack the kayak, we have, we put little brackets on our kayaks. They're little, most kayaks come with them. They're like little, um, U-shaped, U-shaped brackets that, 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 that go right into your kayak. And you can drill into your kayak. There's videos on how to do it and how to sink the, 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 how to sink the screws into it and everything and make so they're secure. But <clears throat> when we do it, what we'll typically do is I'll take this chair. I'll set that down on the bottom. I have my dog's marsh stand. I'll set that underneath that. And then we'll put the kayak bag or the duck decoy bag on top. And then we'll put the guns on top of the decoy bag. Now, you always want to have your decoy bag and, like, everything you care about strapped to your kayak. Because if you flip, it won't fall off if it's lashed to your kayak. If it's on your person, uh, I mean, I, I, I put out a post on kayak duck hunting on Facebook. And this guy said he lost his granddaddy's 870. 
you know. And so <clears throat> lashing your gun to the kayak with a floating gun case. And what we use is they have these like uh, nice bungee cords um, from Home Depot, but they have carabiners on them. And so you go through that eyelet, you carabiner to one side with the bungee cord, you go to the next eyelet, carabiner to the other side, you put an X on it, and then you're good to go. I flipped kayaks, and I haven't lost anything. Yeah, and, and the you know the security of having a floating gun case is well worth it. I mean, you're 30 or 40 bucks. I mean, you can get it probably cheaper than that even, but... You know, for 30 or 40 bucks, it saves you from having to go buy a brand new gun, which, I mean, maybe you just tell your wife that you lost your gun and go buy a brand new one anyways, but then you'll have two. So a ki- Kayak accident. Yeah, I had a kayak accident. All my guns are at the bottom of the lake. That's what yeah. I tell the government, right? Yeah. So, so it's here, buddy. Have a kayak accident. Now, the next thing is when you're going out, um, <clears throat> like Brian said, having a good headlamp because you're going to be in the dark when you're, when you're setting up. And that's something I want to talk about, common courtesy when duck hunting is... Um, Brian says you want to be set up an hour before. That means like at a minimum, you're usually if you're walking in or or kayaking in, you're 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 taking off like two and a half hours before sunrise. And <clears throat> there's nothing worse than someone that's inconsiderate enough to come in at shooting light. You're blowing the ducks off the water. Everybody that that spent their time and their sleep to get tucked in, you've ruined it for them. Well, we had that incident this last season where. You know, opening, we were killing it. We had ducks. We're on set in decoys. There are literally ducks coming into decoys as we're on set in them. And so we had a really good first 10 minutes. And then some jerks decided to come set up across from us after, after shooting, open, light. Uh, shooting light. And they pushed all the ducks completely out of our hole. Yeah. So if you're going to be on kayaking, listen to this, and you're going to get on a kayak and head out there, be considerate. If you're not there on time, if, find somewhere where other people aren't hunting. If there's other people, you think there's other people there, go somewhere else. Or wait, wait, like wait at least an hour until after shooting light, and then walk in. Yeah, you let know? that first flight take of birds a nap, come go in. get a coke. I don't know. Well, and and you can tell, and and what we've seen a lot too is you know you'll be guys, you know, Ron and I start looking at a spot as we're driving down the highway because you'll see the headlamps off in the distance, guys setting decoys and stuff. Um, but we'll look kind of before we even get on the water and kind of have a plan of where we want to go. And so when you get on the water, make sure you're looking for headlamps as you're coming towards a cove. Mm-hmm. See if there's a guy in there setting decoys. I mean, he'll have a headlamp on, you'll see him and then don't go and set up right on top of him. Go two or three coves over, you know, 300 yards. Yeah. Is what you're it, looking at for. least. But I mean, if there's only five of you, five people on the lake spread out to where nobody's on top of anybody. Yeah. You know, I get that there's prime spots and we all want to be in the prime spot, but if somebody beats you to it, let them have it that day and go somewhere else. You know, yeah. go find another spot. Go set your decoys where you're going to you're gonna decoy the birds into you. I mean, it, there's ways to do it. You know, you don't have to go sit 50 yards from another guy because he got your spot. That's, you know, you, wouldn't, you don't want that. And people get mad because... Other people do it to them, but then they go do it right to them as soon as they get the opportunity. Yeah, so, turnabout, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and so you'll, you'll be out there with your headlamp. Look for headlamps. Get out there early. Um, another thing that you'll want to do is your headlamp's only going to reach so far. You're gonna, only going to be about 10 to 15 feet in front of you with the headlamp. So what we do is we bring a spotlight. We charge it the night before, and that way we get shine, and we can actually see where we're going, and we pick a lot of our spots with a spotlight. And so that way you kind of, you don't have to get right up on the read line and make sure travel faster because then you could cut corners and not have to like follow the, the edge line all the way around and you're, you're able to see the whole habitat. So having a little spotlight on the kayak is huge. 
I know, and you're and pre scouting, so you know kind of where you're going. And yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about Everything lights. Everything looks different in the dark, though. <laughs> yeah, you talk about lights, and you know, really, if we're in a duck blind somewhere like Overton, where it's set blinds, I, it really doesn't. Half the times, I don't even put my headlamp on. I mean, there's enough light pollution and stuff that you can see where you're going. But man, and especially on a kayak, we get out in some of these more remote rural places. You know, there's tons of different types of headlamps. I like. I have a soft LED. It's got probably what twenty or thirty light LED lights yeah. on it, and it kind of folds around your head, so you actually have light instead of just one spot in front of you. It actually lights up to the sides of you and in front of you. It's it's pretty bright, and I think I bought it on the on Amazon or something. I think they were ten or fifteen bucks a piece. But yeah. for me, I love that thing, and it's comfortable. You know, a lot of headlamps, you get that big plastic thing on the on the front of your head. It's not super comfortable. It puts like the big indent in front of your head. Yeah, this is comfortable. Ron uses a rechargeable. He usually uses Milwaukee. Yeah, it's a Milwaukee rechargeable. It's my favorite. I've got three of them. They they run good during hunting season. They get wet. They get ruined. You know, but Milwaukee has a pretty good return policy. So and bring spares. I mean. Because, A, if you're bringing, especially if you're bringing another hunter with you, especially a newer hunter, mm-hmm. you know, I think during the duck season, I think I run four or five headlamps in my bag just because you never know when, A, yours is going to go out. You know, Ron's going to drop his in the Ron water. Ron will drop his in the water. Or you bring, we bring two hunters with us and neither of them have a headlamp because they're not thinking about that. They're thinking, yeah. oh, we're going to be, by the time we're hunting, we like. it'll be, we, we'll be able to see enough. Well, yeah, you will be, but you have to get to that point. So, that way it's just everybody we're trying to plan for contingencies you got to realize especially if you're taking a new hunter out getting a new hunter into the field they've never experienced it before so even though you're an, you may be an experienced hunter they're not going to know to bring you know this and check. you're an experienced duck hunter yeah they're not they may not know to bring a headlamp they may not know oh they may not think about putting a plug in their gun they so they might not think i need smoked oysters cuz you don't cuz they're just disgusting and go yeah no wonder you wear crocs fair enough fair enough anyways but yeah so just make sure that as you're bringing your stuff you kind of make sure you know who's coming with you and maybe grab extra stuff for them um me and brian actually have totes that we keep extra stuff in extra socks extra waders extra bullets and we just make sure that everybody comes out this is gonna have a good time well there's times too or so we do a lot of you know wildlife clubs and stuff like that like woods and waters today i mean they do at their their monthly luncheons, they do a raffle, and they have quite a few prizes and stuff. And they do a raffle, and a lot of times, you know, it'll, there'll be some headlamps or something left, and nothing that we really need or want. And so we'll grab a headlamp and we'll throw it in the tote for people we bring out hunting with us. So, you know, those are big things to have. I mean, you you want to be comfortable hunting, and so especially if you're in a kayak, because you're gonna be you're gonna get wet. So if you're bringing regular ski gloves out with you. Your, your hands are going to be cold. You know, bring a pair, buy a good pair of decoy gloves, you know. And then bring extra. I bought some, yeah, I bought some hardcore decoys, decoy gloves this year that instead of being neoprene, they're they're a, a softer material, but they, they've worked really well for this last season. Bring a pair of backup gloves, and then certainly on kayaks, the hand warmer thing for me is, is a must on a kayak. So, you know, we bring, bring a couple hand warmers and just, if your hands are wet, you can throw throw them in your pocket with those hand warmers in them, and you know it'll... those hand warmers are a lifesaver. So, like the hand, Ryan didn't emphasize it enough. The hand warmers are a must late season. All you do is you throw them in your pockets, and you're out there. You're you're, you're grabbing ducks. You're throwing decoys. You're you're paddling. 
Like, and then you just throw your hands in those warm pockets, you heat them up, you get the circulation going again, and you're good to go. Yeah, and it's it'll it'll make your hunt a lot more enjoyable. Because like, cold hands, I don't know about you, my ears and my hands. That's if they're cold, I'm I'm not very happy. And you're gonna get cold. You're sitting on the water yeah. in the middle of freezing temperatures. So, um, next thing when when you're headed out there, a good paddle makes a big difference. Um, every kayak, lifetime kayaks, like Brian has the Tamaracks, um, the Stelts, they'll all come with kayak with paddles. Um, they're pieces of dookie. I mean, they work good. They're they're okay. But you get these carbon fiber, is that what they're called? Yeah, it's carbon fiber. There's fiberglass. Even if you go to uh, an upgraded aluminum paddle, it'll be light years ahead of what the paddle that comes with the kayaks are. So if you can only afford what comes with it and you're really on a tight budget, they work just fine. Don't let us, don't don't take it as you have to have this because you can't do it without it. What's going to happen is that lighter that paddle is, the more of that effort that you're using to use that paddle is going into actually making that boat move. So, you know, I didn't think a paddle was a big deal, right? I was like, eh, it's a paddle, it's a paddle, a paddle. Well, I got, I happened to get off of auction, I got a fiberglass paddle or no, a carbon fiber paddle. And that thing is, I mean, I mean, there's no weight to it. And you are so much more efficient with that paddle than you are with something else. And you, you can paddle longer, you can get further, you can go faster without getting as tired. So it's a it's worth the money, and you can find them cheap. I mean, Ron and I have an auction site we go to, and especially during duck season, it seems. Maybe it's yeah. because after after normal people are out of their kayaks, yeah. but there tends to be a lot of them on there. And so if you can pick those up, I think There's I, five today. They're all down in Phoenix, though. So. But I think I picked mine up for like 15 bucks, and it was like a $140 paddle. They're worth every penny, though, yeah. I think. Well, if you get it for fifteen bucks, they are. Yeah, even one hundred and forty bucks. I mean, it's if you're going to be using it, you know, it's, it's worth it's the worth money. It. You know, and and maybe maybe it's the point where you, okay, this year I can afford a kayak, and then next year I'll, I'll maybe I'll invest in a better paddle, and you know, you do it piece by piece. Duck hunting is one of those sports you can kind of do it piece by piece. Yeah, there's some essentials that you're going to want to have. You know, you obviously want to have some waders. You're going to need a gun. You're going to need some ammo. You know, camouflage. You can kind of. Make things work on your upper half as long as you have those waders and you have a good jacket. And you're tucked in. And, and you're tucked in. So um, you can make that stuff work. The, Remember your granddaddy shot deer in a, a flannel red yeah, jacket? A flannel red jacket, your granddaddy shot deer. So I don't think you need the scent away and all that other stuff. But It works. It works. It, make, it gives you that edge. But if you tuck in and you're tough, you it, probably could do it. It does. Same. It's a crutch. You yeah. know, you, you don't have to hunt like the old timers had to hunt, hunt, right? They didn't have all the toys. Yeah. So they had to. They had to know their wind. They had to know their terrain. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have, man, we are so spoiled as hunters now. And we have so much equipment. And we have, Ron and I have, we use the uh, Ducks Unlimited app. And we can catalog our ducks. We can see what ducks have been flying where, kind of where the, the sunrise, migration sunset is. Sunrise, sunset times. Sunrise, sunset times. You can pull up the regulations right from that app. So as long as you have internet, you can do a lot of stuff with that one. Yeah. Um, Onyx. You know, Onyx will tell you, okay, there's a pond over here. Is that now, a pond on public or is that on private? Onyx is key for hunting marshes. Yes. You know, public, private, and you could you could scout on that and figure out which route you're going to take. And you can see, you could drop yourself waypoints and figure out how to get there. Well, and the other thing with the Onyx, with waterfowl hunting, especially you're hunting marshes, like Ruby Marsh is a big one. So Ruby Marsh is actually, it's a split marsh, right? So it's yeah. in two different counties, I think, and then... 
on top of it, there's a section of the lake that you're not allowed on, so there's a restricted line. Well, if you didn't have something like Onyx, you would never know you were getting close to that line. So you, you just they have signs. Yeah, if they're Crappy there still. Signs. Yeah, if somebody hasn't ripped them down. The duck hunter hasn't hit it with the boat. Yeah, so I mean, it's just one of those things to where it's nice. And like we, when we go out and do a project, we'll mark all the goose boxes with, you know, on Onyx, and we'll send it to everybody. So. That way, we need to go back and stuff those boxes. We know right where they're at. Where they're so, at, and yeah. we can tag them as a goose box, you know. Um, Onyx is pretty good with labeling springs. I mean, there's, it'll tell you where some of the springs and stuff are that, that are actually labeled, you know. So, if it's this private spring that somebody's done or a water feature that they built, it's not going to be on there sometimes. Yeah. So, but it's been a, that's a really valuable tool. And the cool thing is, I think it's is, one of my top tools in my to- toolbox. The cool thing is, like, Ron and I share information all the time on that and said, hey, you know, hey, I was looking at this, you know, all during duck season. If I have a time down and we're looking for somewhere new to hunt, I'll pull up a map. I'll just pull up an aerial view. Look for water. And look for water and then kind of see what the features are. And I'm like, hey, we should go try this. And I'll drop him a pen and just send him a pen. Hey, we should try this spot right here. And then Ron could pull it up on his on his Onyx and zoom into it and say, yeah, I like that spot. Or, meh, maybe we go up the up the river a little bit or something like that. So. You know, it's kind of cool because you can all kind of be on the same page. So yeah, um, so at, at, once you got that good paddle, and you're headed back. You know, you're headed to your spot. Um, getting out the kayak is very, very important. You know, because if you get in and out wrong, you're gonna tip. And so some tips I found after falling a few times for getting out the kayak is one: when you get out, um, you always stop and you fill with your paddle to make sure there's ground underneath. So you'll, you'll hit your paddle down. So you'll want to kind of measure how far your paddle is going to go down, how many feet that is. If you're like, if it goes above this, I'm not getting out. You know, so you'll measure with your paddle. And then you, at least I do, I always kick my feet off first. And I kind of sit on it like as I'm sitting on a swing. And then I'll kick down from there. And that way you're not losing your balance when you're kicking into the water. Um, getting back in is always the tough part. Getting out's easy. Getting back in is tough. Um, I was up hunting with my kid. And uh, my buddy sold me a kayak. He sold it to me for cheap, hundred bucks. It was a deal. Sit yeah, on top. I know why he sold it to you yeah, for hundred bucks. I know. And he said, "I can't use this thing. It tips." And I said, "Well, it's because you're clumsy." Anyway, so I went out hunting with my kid on this kayak, and we were on the middle of nowhere. And um, and we drop one, and I go out to get it. And uh, I was I was kind of excited, so I just threw one leg in. And then I threw my whole body in the water because the kayak just went <laughs> this in over in, you know. And uh, it was cold, and it was getting cold quick, and there was ice in the water that morning, and I went all the way under, like, didn't have my waiter jacket on. I just had my sweater on because it was later in the afternoon. And I told my kid, I said, hey, go get, go get, go, 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 go. He had the phone. He was watching YouTube. I said, hey, call your mom. Call your mom tell her to get back down here because we were up there camping. And so he calls my mom, my wife took us back down there and said, I'm going to go pick up the decoys real quick. And I, I step off to go pick up the decoys and step right into a channel and whoop over my head again. And so at that point, I, I tried again and got back on the kayak and went out and got the decoys. But getting in kayaks is, is very important. And there, there's a couple ways, three ways you could avoid it. First, if you put your butt in first you'll be okay. When you put your butt in, you put your kayak paddle in front of you, sink it in the ground. At that point, you have kind of a <clears throat> an anchor point that you could do. Then you kick your legs up in. If you're in deep water above like two to three feet, um, probably probably three to four feet. If you're, in, if you're in three foot of water, 
you're going to want to push that kayak back into the reeds. So you have reeds on both sides of the stable. You'll, you'll put your anchor point in with the kayak paddle. Get your butt in. Once you get your butt in, you should be able to kick your feet right back up in. Um, if you're someone that with someone that's not experienced and you're trying to get them in the kayak, go hold it for them. Even when Brian, like if I'm if Brian and me are in deep water, I'll go hold Brian's kayak. He'll jump in. He'll paddle next to mine. He'll hold my kayak while I jump in. So having a buddy and like don't like we 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 get this manliness about us. Where, oh, I don't need help. I'm going to do this myself. But if you fall in the water, you've ruined your hunt for the most part. I mean, you could be tough and sit in the cold, but it doesn't hurt to have someone hold your kayak while you jump in. Um, and then if you can push it in the reeds and you can kick up on those cattails, those um, that hard stem bull rush, it comes up in like little ladders almost. And you kick up and you get in your kayaks that way. But entering and exiting your kayaks is like a skill you're going to have to learn. And um, I suggest that during the summer, if you're out and you plan on kayaking in the summer, this, this winter, um, get out on the lake, get in your swimming shorts when it's nice and warm outside, and try to tip it. Just get out there and try to tip that thing. You know, get in it, get out of it, um, hold a stick like a gun, get in, get out. And then um, just just wash to see if you could tip it and see what it takes to tip. And then you won't have to do it in the cold trial and error. Yeah, knowing your limits is a big thing, right? So we all, Ron and I tend to go a little bit too hard at times. So we're more of a learn when you're. Yeah, hurt. we'll push. We'll push those limits. But you know, we've hunted a lot. And we've been in and out of the kayaks a lot, and we've done we've done a lot of stuff. So we get to a point of comfort, and then we'll just push it that little bit of extra. But it doesn't know we've. We've had the issues enough to where we recognize when it's starting to go sideways. You gotta tell so, about Sunnyside. Which one? The 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 one where uh, the we're sitting the sitting ones. We're headed up to Reno. Oh uh, yeah, we so we we were out hunting, and so we do. We haven't done it in a while. That because, was the end of January. Yeah, so it was actually no, it was Feb. It would have been the beginning of February because it's Martin Luther King Day weekend is when they do that. Okay, that thing. So. Ron and I generally, up until the last, it was last year, it was the first year we hadn't done it, but we'll go up north for um, a Friends of the NRA grant mm-hmm. meeting. So we go and give grants out from the Friends of the NRA. And so we're not going to waste a road trip, right? So we will hunt, usually hunt Friday morning, and we'll hunt at least one place, and we usually try to catch a couple other places as we're driving. Um we happened that day to be on Sunnyside. And Sunnyside, that year, it had froze, and then it had thawed, but it was still cold. And I think it was there was ice on, there was a pretty big ice block on the water. We so, broke out to the open. So um, we get on, and you know, we're getting ready, just about ready to leave. And uh, as we're getting back in the boats to leave, my boat, i trying to get up one foot into it, the kayak kind of pushed out of the water a little Again, bit. Again, sit inside. Yeah, it was a sit inside. So I had one leg in it, and I was trying to get to where I get that leg down to get my other leg swung in it. The kayak kind of pushed out a little bit, and I went head first right into the water. I mean, and the kayak filled up with the water. Yeah, too. and so the kayak's underwater. I'm soaking wet. It was like 14 degrees outside that day. Um, so it's then it becomes a hey, let's get and and Ron Ron was probably a little bit more nervous than I was because. He was thinking that I was going to get hyperthermic and stuff like that. And it really wasn't, as far as cold was concerned, it wasn't like uncomfortably cold. It isn't until you die. Yeah, it sucked to be wet. But um, but then again, I, I didn't have my waiter jacket at that point. No, we were brand new. 
but I did have a jacket. I had a hunting jacket on that still had some insulation and it was that insulation kept me from getting too cold. And then, you know, we run. That's a good point. When you get wet and you will get wet, do not take your clothes off. No, don't take your jacket off. Leave the wet clothes on. Leave them on. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to be, it'll warm up and it won't take very long. And, you know, and we it hunt, conserves the body heat too. You hunt thousand gram waders. Um, I have a pair of sixteen hundred gram waders that um, they're warm enough. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to be. I wore my sixteen hundreds when we were below zero that last that that one day last yeah. season. I don't know that I'd want to be in my thousands in minus temperatures like that. But yeah. um, certainly the thousands are. You know, if you're 16 17 degrees but when you get something wet your instinct is to take it off yeah and when you're out in that cold weather you're going to conserve more heat by leaving it on rather than not having the it one on. place that i would say that that doesn't necessarily work is with my gloves that's true so once my gloves are wet and cold but your core wet and cold so i want my gloves off but my core i'm never taking my jacket off unless you have something to replace it unless, with this dry yeah and then i'm but see if you replace it so what happens is you get in, your jacket fills up with water, you get soaked, your shirt underneath it soaked. So you put a dry jacket over wet the rest of your clothes that are wet. It de- it defeats the purpose, right? Yeah. But it will be, I mean, you'll be warm enough. It just won't be comfortable. Yeah, so. you'll definitely be warm enough. Um, <clears throat> something else when it comes to that um, and tipping and being warm. Um, when it comes to bringing, if you're going to bring a dog out on your kayak, you know, and I'll bring dogs out and I started last year, started two years ago. It's like having a little two year old on your kayak that wants to run around. And so when you bring your dog out, the, before you do it in the season is you'll want to get your dog out on that kayak and start testing the dog on the kayak, making sure he can sit still and figuring out where you want to sit him. I got this one dog that likes to run to the front of the kayak and the front of the kayak is like the main tipping point. And so what I like to do is I like to put the dog right between my legs. I put the paddle in front of him and I paddle with the, the paddle in front of the, no, I paddle with him behind it. But he sits right between my legs and so my center mass is his center mass also. Now we had a little experience last year where, um, um, the, the sit inside kayaks, not the sit inside, the sit on top kayaks have little portholes. Brian covers his up. Um, I leave mine open. And uh, last year, I, I, I lost my covering to the, it blew out on the highway or something to the middle piece of my kayak. And we're, we're out paddling to, the, to our spot. And my dog kept on, something happened to where the water kept on coming in the kayak and then going in the centerpiece. And it was just slowly sinking me. And uh, I told Brian, I said, hey, Brian, I got I to gotta pull over to the side here. I'm going to have to walk this thing in. And so um, <clears throat> make sure you have all your pieces, first off. And second off, if you don't have all your pieces, don't overload it because you will sink. Yeah, I use um, – I like to be a little drier when, I, when I'm in my kayak. So I use, um, I use four of them. There's actually six or eight – there's eight scupper holes on my boat. Mm-hmm. The scupper holes are designed so if when the water gets in the boat, it drains out the bottom of the boat. So water is always coming in and out of that scupper hole. Yeah. Um, the four that are right around the seating area for me, that there's kind of mine's into three separate compartments basically. That seating compartment, I put scupper plugs in all of mine. Um, it keeps it pretty dry. Um, yeah. The difference is if you get a little bit of water in your boat, obviously the water's not not going to be able to drain out of your boat. But it, it just for me, it's more comfortable than sitting in that wet. Or I like to have somewhere that it's reasonably dry to throw. If I take my gloves off, I can set them down somewhere and they're not in the water. 
And so I like to have that one area that's kind of dry in my boat. Um, inevitably, I'll throw my gloves right in the only water that I have on the boat. That's just the way it usually works. But no, for me, it's more more comfortable. And if I'm using my kayak for fishing, I'm pretty much dry the entire time. I'm not sitting in water, which is which for me is a lot more comfortable. And I don't care because I got waders on and a wader jacket, so I'll well, be wet. For me, when it's 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 okay when it's when you're hunting. It's when I'm fishing. That's where I usually that's I really true. like the scupper plugs. So yeah. Now something that you you need to realize. I remember one time I was out kayak hunting and I was I was paddling into the wind, and it was cold. I broke through ice that morning to get out there, and uh, um, <clears throat> this is when the hand warmers come in handy. Is you'll be paddling every single time you paddle, you throw water up. There's nothing you could do about it. You're always going to throw water up every single time you paddle. And so your jacket is going to get wet. And so you're usually just worried about your waders getting wet. And, you know, your, your waders come to your chest right here. But if you like if you like warmth, I would suggest making sure you have something waterproof on top if you're going to kayak hunt. Because I remember getting to my spot and be like, man, my chest is really tight. I can't move. And I moved and I cracked ice. And so because the wind was blowing and I was throwing water on myself, I just froze my chest. Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, a good paddle is going to have a little rubber, kind of like almost a rubber grommet at the end. Yeah. And it's a flat piece of rubber. And what it's designed for is it's designed to keep water f- from running down from that blade onto the handle of the, of the paddle. So if you keep those out a little bit and you're inside those, it helps a little bit. But you're still going to, you're paddling through water. You're going to get a little bit wet. And that's why waiter jackets for me, I mean, those waiter jackets, you can put as much water on them as you want. They're they're not gonna they're get fine, wet. Yeah. As long as you don't go under the water and let the water come to the inside of the jacket, you're good. Even and, at that point, the wrists are so solid that like it, it takes a lot for it to get in there. Mine's a little bit long, so what I'll notice is so when I bought mine, they didn't have extra larges. Mm-hmm. They only had double X, and so I bought the double X, uh, thinking, well, it's gonna be over my waders and stuff anyways. Well, where I have an issue is it's a little bit longer than the extra large. And that'll sit if I've got water in my kayak. That's the bottom that sits right in the water, and it's not a problem when when you have waders on. But when you go to get in the truck to go home and you take your waders off, and bottom of your jacket's wet. So you know, but I I'll just bring another jacket or something with me a lot of times. Or by the time we get into the truck, it's you know we we'll turn the heater on in the truck before we start heading home, and usually our jackets are off anyways. So yeah, we'll be good by then. Yeah, as long as you got a warm truck to come back to. Um, Bringing food out there is really good. You want to keep your energy up. You know, you want to have, um, I know you probably in the offseason, you know, you want to have some sugary snacks or stuff like that because you're going to get tired. And if you get cold, you know, having those carbs is good unless you've got food stores like me. Um, one last thing, and we're getting pretty close in this show, but with kayaks, you have a high likelihood of screwing up other people's hunts. Now, kayaks, what me and Brian use them for, we use them to get from point A to point B, tuck in, decoy. I've, I've noticed a new trend in hunters is they get out here with these kayaks and they go and start chasing ducks and kayaks, you know. And um, when you do that, um, ducks will raft in the middle. And that's what they do. That's their safe spot. But if you go up there and blow up the raft, the likelihood of getting something is very low. And you're having to shoot from a kayak, which is dangerous, and usually in the middle is deeper. And so what you're going to do is you're going to blow up this raft, and it's going to leave, if you're on private, like, if you're on 
public like me and Brian hunt, it's going to leave the public and go to the private. These private guys aren't shooting ducks. They're not shooting ducks in the rafts. They're shooting ducks when they come in the fields. They're shooting ducks when they decoy. Usually people that hunt private have better etiquette and they're more knowledgeable because they're paying $5,000 for a lease. You know, so when it comes out to hunting uh, kayaks, kayaks are meant, uh, and, and you could, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm right, but this is my feeling. Kayaks are meant to get from point A to point B and tuck in if you need to move to go from point B to point C. They're not meant to go chase ducks. And um, having been young in, in duck hunting and having chased ducks on, on the water, I will let you know you have a very low likelihood of being successful. You're, you're probably going to shoot a ruddy and a coot. You know, those are the only ducks stupid That's enough. That's all you shoot anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> only when I'm with you, man, to make you feel good. They're all ruddies <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's, it's all ruddy, sir. It's all ruddy. You know, and so, like, um, you have a very li- low likelihood of shooting a good duck, and then you've ruined that piece of public for everybody, and the ducks aren't going to come back until later that evening. If you blow up their one safe spot in the lake... They're gone, man. They're done. Whereas if you let them sit there, they'll trickle back to the edges. Just give them some time. I know we're all impatient and we don't want them. We'll watch them. We'll get pissed at them and say bad things about them. But they do eventually trickle back to the edges because that's where the food's at. There's guys that, there are guys that'll, you know, if you've got a river, there's a lot of guys that'll float a river. Just kind of float the river down. And, yeah, I'm and, talking about Southern Nevada. And, though. and hunt off that. But yeah, it's, for me, I mean, there's boats that are designed to do that so you can go get a sneak boat you know and it's designed to kind of come up get up close and personal with the ducks but people aren't doing that people are just oh there's a bunch of ducks over there i'm gonna paddle over there and shoot at them hey look at i'm gonna sit up straight and go towards the ducks this isn't gonna flare them and it's no different than sky busting in my book to be honest with you because you're you're putting pressure on those ducks that we don't need to be putting on those ducks you know if and, and a it's kind of bad because a lot of times these are the guys that are coming in 20 minutes after shooting light, you know, they've missed the prime hunting opportunity. So, you know, in Southern Nevada, especially we generally get uh, uh, most of our waves are early. You know, we have two or three hours that we'll see birds coming in and they'll, they'll kind of move from, from roost to feed and go back to roost. And so, they're, they're moving around a little bit. And so they're coming into those areas looking for something specific in the morning. And then they'll leave. And sometimes they'll come back in the afternoon, depending on where you're hunting. A lot of times they don't. A lot of times it's they come back as soon as the sun sets. Um, so if you got guys going out there and it's those, those flights have already gone, you're just those ducks need some sanctuary. I mean, they're not going to come back. If we start blowing ducks off of water every time we see a duck, that water's unsafe and they'll never come back into that water again. So they'll go up 3,000 feet and just head south and, all the way down to Mexico. And, and you can do it if you do it four or five days in a row or four or five days in a couple weeks, those ducks are going to get pretty smart and say, you know what, this isn't a safe place to be. We're not coming back. Yeah. And so you just lost that hole for, you know, you can lose that hole for a week. You can lose that hole for the rest of the season. So it's just about being considerate, considerate and conscientious around your other hunters. I mean, we talk about it all the time. You know, if you're with somebody that, that's kind of doing things that we don't think are the right way to do it, you know, take it as an opportunity to educate them, you know, offer them the, the time to come out with you and, and see how it's done the right way. Um, that's how we're going to get better. And that's how we're going to have better hunters around us is we teach them and, and do it. It's frustrating. I get it. But we got to do it in a way that, you know, it's not an adversarial thing sometimes. 
And sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes that's what needs to happen too. Sometimes it needs to be an adversarial thing. So to get people going right. Yeah. I mean, kayak hunting is fun. It's a blast. It's adventurous. It's dangerous. Uh, you go fast. You hunt hard. It's cold. Um, you get to see new places, man. It is a blast, but, um, we're a big team out there. We're all hunting public for the most part. People that listen to the show, some might hunt private. And so I guess you're almost like team public, you know? And if one, if one team player is like shooting from the half court line, you're not going to win the game. You know, that guy gets a shoot, you know, he gets a shoot and he might, he might make it like one out of a hundred when he shoots from the half court line. But for the most part, he's just ruining the hunt for everybody else. So being team public means sometimes passing that ball, you know, letting the ducks work, you know, not not trying to go shoot them out in the middle of the lake, you know, like um, watching to see where the other hunters are, showing up on time, um, using the correct ammunition, like, you know, uh, knowing what you're doing. And, you know, and, and the hardest part, taking new people out, taking new people out and teaching them because you take new people out and teach them, man. Some of them, like most of them, if they haven't hunted before, are going to flare your ducks and they're going to make it rough. But you've now created a new team public person that you know when he goes out, he's not going to ruin the hunt for the rest of team public. And you use those opportunities where they're flaring ducks and stuff as teaching opportunities. I know we we told a story and we'll, we'll I won't get into the full details of it. But there was somebody in Ron's blind um, hunting with him one day that he took out. And I don't think he really knew him. But the guy was spinning, <laughs> <Half> the <people. laughs> spinning around in the blind with a gun, loaded gun. You know, just spinning in circles in the blind with a loaded gun. So, you know, those things are things we get, we have to use them for teaching moments. And if we can teach them the right way, that they'll learn it and it, they'll take it with them, and they'll get they'll be better hunters. And you know, sometimes the best thing you can do as a hunter is somebody sets up in the in a prime spot and they're just slaying the ducks. The best thing you can do sometimes is just sit back and watch them slay the ducks because. Once they got their seven, they're going to have to leave. And then you can just kind of mosey on over into that spot, and you might get the same same opportunity to yeah, shoot as enjoy well. So, their, enjoy watching them play their game, or, man. Or, man, if somebody's slaying ducks, look at what they're doing. I mean, because sometimes they got a decoy set. That, <laughs> it's not like they could hide anything from you. <laughs> yeah. but it, Get it's, your binos out that you forgot. Yeah, but, I mean, if you can look at their decoy set and kind of how they're set up and stuff like that, maybe it's something that they're doing that's bringing the ducks into them that, would the same thing would bring the ducks into use so you can adjust your set and everybody can can harvest more ducks that way now if we've got guys you know that the basketball player things you know it's a perfect example so if i'm shooting from half court and the only one down under the basket is the other team guess what we just lost the ball that's all we did (laughs) so it's the same thing so if i'm sky busting or if i'm out there kayak chasing ducks off the water and this kayak busting let's call it that kayak busting so if i'm doing those things then all we're doing is giving the ball to the other team and so we've got to be cognizant of that and you know i i know game wardens aren't necessarily all our best friends so when we see buck tingle running around we get them buck tingles that you know sometimes people get a little nervous and stuff but man have those conversations with with a game warden and say man this how's your day going man i'm struggling because these guys over here are shooting at everything that's flying and a lot of times what we found out is those guys that are uneducated don't care to take the opportunity to to learn how to do it the right way probably aren't doing it the right way when it comes to hunting licenses and duck stamps and stuff as well so those are opportunities for education no i'm not saying to be a snitch but you're saying let the game warden go over and have some 
education with them. The the game warden will actually go over and make some visits to make sure everything's okay. And then I know there's some of the game wardens that refer them to certain programs. You know, there's some programs about duck hunting and stuff. I know our friend Ruben does some stuff through And they're taught by super educated people. Yeah, and so they'll refer them and say, hey, I think this would be a good a good opportunity for you to learn a little bit. So you can do that with a game warden, and it's not going into somebody else's duck blind and, you know, pounding your chest and saying, hey, you're doing it wrong. Do it the right way and causing a problem. So, you know, use them as a tool. I mean, and I'll, I'll tell you, Ron and I, with the game wardens come around, Ron, I actually have conversations with them a lot of times because they got the information. They they're gonna know where the ducks and stuff are. They know too. where the X is. So if you you can nice get in with them, tell you kind of. Yeah, if you can get in with them and start kind of getting on their side a little bit, and then sometimes they'll give you some of that information you're looking for, and it makes your scouting a little bit easier. So, yeah, I, I, the game wardens are just the referees in the basketball game. You know, everybody has to play by the rules, and if you get caught not playing by the rules, take your foul. Move on. Uh, take your take you your know, ticket. Get educated, but I don't. I don't suggest you don't play by the rules because the rules are set there so we could all be successful. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and and some game wardens are certain things that they'll they'll maybe let you slide a little bit on, you know, if you don't understand it. But here's the problem with the game wardens: we have to understand is everybody's telling them the same story. They get lied to so much. It's always I don't know. I I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that was the rule. And you know so. They're going to write you a ticket a lot of times just because they don't know if you're that one that didn't know or if you're the other nine they're saying that they didn't know. So The best way to educate somebody is to make them pay. Yeah. and, and Unfortunately. Unfortunately, I'd like to see the money go to a better, more sportsman-related thing, you know, than going to the school budget. But, you know, I guess we need to educate our kids as well. But, I mean, I'd like to see that money go back to conservation yeah, but it goes. They don't even get any of it, you know. No, and they and, don't profit at all from writing that ticket. So that's a good reason not to do things that you're not supposed to, because if you get a ticket, it's not even going back to the sportsman. So, yeah, it's going to help Clark County education. But no, it's just it's all about how we become better, better hunters. How we increase the hunting opportunities in in our area, and how we create hunters that are going to be some of the top notch hunters. You know, where it, it'd be nice to know that every hunter that you touched went out and did it the right way and some people enjoyed hunting around them so you know if we can reach that goal i think we're doing a good thing yeah and uh i think i think if you haven't done kayak hunting you should you absolutely should it is an experience there's nothing prettier than getting out there in the dark and you're kayaking in the stars and it's just you and that kayak and the stars and it's just quiet it's 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 a beautiful thing that you would never ever do if you weren't trying to shoot a duck. I don't think I've I've never been kayaking at night other than well, out you, duck hunting. You notice a lot more on a kayak. So we Ron and I hunt with a boat a lot early season, especially with the loud old motor. Yeah, so you get that mud motor and you're and you're cruising. I mean, you're and that motor is we're our, our boat's not super fast because of the motor we have on it, but you know you're going fast enough where you don't notice a lot of the stuff on the water. Well, when you're in a kayak, man, you'll get up within five ten feet of rafts of ducks sometimes go into your spot especially early in the morning yeah and you'll get to see you'll, you'll be right in the ducks or you know there's fish jumping all around you can you. almost grab them sometimes yeah there's fish jumping all around you and and stuff like that so it's a it's a different experience and i would say you know i would highly encourage people to get out and and do a little bit more not to mention man it's it's exercise and it's it's making you a little bit healthier it's a healthier way to hunt so it's working different muscles than just your mud truck and muscles and your mouth is what you usually run so (laughs) this guy over here with a big old beard talking about my mouth um 
and like Brian said, be good to each other. Absolutely. If you're out there, be good to each other. Be considerate of those around you. And uh, if someone's not considerate, tell the game warning. You know, like Brian said, snitches, uh, snitches get their their spots. Snitches get ducks. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> snitches get their spots. What Brian said. So, anyways, well. <laughs> You got anything else to add about kayak, man? No, I, mean, I, I think that's about it. I mean, if you if you have the opportunity, take it. I mean, it's it's a blast. I mean, I know Ron and I, we have spares a lot of times, so we'll bring guys along with us. And if you, even if you can borrow stuff, you know, there's I think there's places you can still rent some kayaks around. Well, a lot of people aren't so fishing in the winter, so yeah, it, your buddy looking in his garage, he's got kayaks. Say, hey, like, let me let me take those out. I want to try something. And I'll tell you, I mean, like Ron and I are pretty. Uh, probably to our wife's dismay, but we're pretty giving with stuff. I mean, we loan, loan a lot of our kayaks and stuff out at times, you know. Yeah. Ron called me. He had 14 boys going out on a fishing trip. <laughs> He's like, hey, do you care if I use your kayak? I'm like, no, come grab the other ones too. So, you know, but doing these things, I mean, we're getting closer to, to nature. We're a little bit closer to the, the water and the land and the ducks. It makes the experience a whole lot better. You know, I guess it's about time to go, Ron. Hey, so. just one more thing before I forget. Check your local rules and regs. There's places you can't bring kayaks. There's government lands where you can't kayak onto. There's WMAs you can't be on. And I'm probably sure you should probably have lights on them in the dark. So that being said, check check your rules and regs so you don't get a ticket from Green Jeans. You know, and he don't want to give you a ticket if you ain't doing nothing wrong. And if you don't know you're not doing anything wrong, you're still gonna get the ticket. Yeah, and I tell you, we we learned up at ruby marsh too so they actually pulled a guy off the water and ticketed him for not having lights on his boat yeah you know so it's uh it's a real thing and you can buy the kayaks even you can buy a little portable lights to to hang on the kayak and you gotta get registered too you only have to get it registered if you got a motor on it but you have to get your ais sticker no matter That's what yeah so well i guess we're about done for this episode so as we say all the time if you're going to take some go out hunting this weekend make sure you take somebody with you if you take can't take somebody with you make sure you teach somebody something if you can't take somebody or teach somebody make sure you hunt hard